Today is a quick podcast, no intro, no outro. I'm just going to start talking. And usually in the introduction to my podcast, I say it's about politics, government, and American history. And today I want to talk about a great figure in American history, Christopher Columbus. And in a previous podcast, in fact, the podcast before this very special podcast, I talked about why study history because it is your future. And Larry Arne, who is the president of Hillsdale College, also says, the reason we study history is to get a picture of eternity, something beyond time. When we study history, it opens up a vast perspective in which to assess and judge the present. It's long-range thinking, looking at present-day problems. History gives us perspective, which we really need here in 2021. So I chose to talk about Christopher Columbus as an additional podcast to my normal podcasts being released on Columbus Day because he was very vital to the discovery of America. Columbus Day is the second Monday in October this year on October 11th, and he has been so denigrated in our current teaching of history I thought I would give a brief history of what I've learned about Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus is credited for discovering the Americas in 1492. And the amazing explorer he was when he landed in America in 1492. So he was accredited for discovering the Americas in 1492. Although today we know that obviously people were here in the Americas long before him, but he was the first European who charted the course and wrote it down. And he opened the door for more exploration to this new world. Many in the public schools have been taught that Christopher Columbus was a rapist and that he got lost and that he was greedy for gold. He enslaved people that he found in what we now call the Caribbean. And a lot of the unrest during COVID was to rip down statues of people in our history, and they ripped down statues of Christopher Columbus. In the United States of America, there are over 600 monuments and statues to Christopher Columbus. And so why is this man so important in our history? Why is there 600 monuments and statues in the United States of America to this man? We know a lot from his life especially from his son, who wrote down much of the history of his life. And there are many records from many different people of what Christopher Columbus did in the late 1400s. He made four voyages. And the reason he made these voyages, especially the first one, is he wanted to find a passage to Asia by sailing west. This had never been accomplished. So he set out in 1492 and ended up landing in what he thought was India, but it was really the islands near the Caribbean. Of course he had faults, but he also made indispensable positive contributions to America and American history. He deserves to be honored, not because he was perfect, but because of his contributions to opening up what many have called now the new world. And for over 500 years, Christopher Columbus has enjoyed a seat of the respected and famous people of American history, the discoverer of the new world, and that came obviously with notoriety and fame. 
cities have been named in his honor. <laughs> and before I get into his history, I just think it's really interesting that the seat of the United States government is the District of Columbia, named after Christopher Columbus, Washington, D.C. That's what the D.C. stands for, District of Columbia, which is Christopher Columbus. He was called the Admiral of the Ocean Sea. That was his official title. So important to the American essence of our culture that one of the first vessels in the United States Navy was the USS Columbus. So what is the history here? Before Christopher Columbus, in about 1420, Portuguese ships known as caravels zipped along the African coast carrying spices, gold, slaves, and other goods from Asia and Africa to Europe. And there was a lot of trading by ship and sailing the seas long before Christopher Columbus came onto the scene. And yes, I did mention slavery, and I'm going to talk about that a little later. But by the end of the 15th century, the late 1400s, it was nearly impossible to reach Asia from Europe by land. The route was long and dangerous, and encounters with hostile armies were difficult to avoid. Many of these trading missions were raided, and the Muslims controlled much of this trade route, and they often attacked foreign travelers that were on this popular land trade route. And Portuguese explorers wanted to solve this problem of being attacked and raided, so they took sailing ships and took to the sea. They sailed along the West African coast and around the Cape of Good Hope, all the way around the continent of Africa. That is a long journey. And knowing geography is important, is key to understanding the importance of finding a route to reach Asia from Europe. And Columbus had a different idea. Hey, instead of going over land, he got the idea from the Portuguese, why not sail west across the Atlantic instead of around the massive African continent? This had not been done successfully before this time. At least nobody had returned back to Europe to tell about it. So the young Christopher Columbus as a navigator wanted to try this, but his math was a little bit faulty. He argued incorrectly that the, circum that the circumference of the earth was much smaller than it actually was, and his contemporaries believed it was much larger than he thought. But he believed that the journey by boat from Europe to Asia should not only be possible, but comparatively easy via a, a northwest passage, which hadn't yet been discovered, but he wanted to find it. He went to a couple, couple different countries to get funding to take this large journey that had never been undertaken. And Ferdinand and Isabella, the king and queen of Spain, agreed to finance his voyage. They also wanted to receive a lot of the trade goods that were coming from Asia, wanted to find a shorter route, and so they agreed to finance Christopher Columbus's voyage. And at this time, it also has to be noted that Ferdinand and Isabella, the king and queen of Spain, were devout Catholics, and so was Christopher Columbus. And so they also wanted to export Catholicism across the globe, which was the religion of the time. They wanted to export the scriptures, and they wanted to send Catholicism across the globe. And I'll get to religion and how that plays into it a little bit later. So how did Christopher Columbus get his start? He became an apprentice in his father's wool weaving business, but he also studied map making and sailing as well when he was young. 
and he eventually left his father's business to join the, the Genoese fleet. He was Italian, joined that the Italian fleet and sailed the Mediterranean Sea. And after one of his ships wrecked off the coast of Portugal, he decided to remain there with his younger brother Bartholomew, where he worked as a map maker and bookseller. And here he got married and he had two sons. And at this time, he also owned a copy of Marco Polo's famous book. And Marco Polo was another explorer that traveled the Silk Road to China. And he explored and documented much of Asia not yet explored by Europeans. And Christopher Columbus was fascinated with Marco Polo's expedition trips. So back to Christopher Columbus. The other thing we have to discover about him is this was the age of conquest. And this was during the Christian Crusades and the Muslim Crusades. The Christian Crusades, there was about 13 to 17 Christian Crusades. And there was 548 Muslim Crusades. And the Muslim Crusades had come through Spain. And Christopher Columbus didn't like this because the Muslims were killing Christians and trying to conquer them in Spain. And Spain had been attacked so many times by the Muslims and Christopher Columbus spent part of his young life defending Spain against the Muslim Crusades. And so Muslims were attacking Christians and Jews is what Christopher Columbus was familiar with. So Columbus wanted the gold so he could defend Spain and the Middle East against the Muslim Crusades and to liberate the Middle East from the Muslims. And he wanted to spread the gospel. As I said, he was Catholic. So this was the age of conquest. And there was really two choices during this age when these warring factions were going on, is you either killed your enemies or you enslaved them. And Christopher Columbus tried to liberate the Middle East from this. So back to the trade route. Portugal was desperately trying to find a faster trade route to Asia. Spices, ivory, silk, gemstones, and gold were the items that were being traded. And Muslim nations imposed high taxes on European travelers. That's why the journey was so treacherous. And this made it both difficult and expensive to reach Asia. So Columbus thought, okay, I'm going to try and sail west. He needed ships and supplies, and he went to Portugal, and they said no. And he went to England and France, and they said no. So each declined his request for funding. And after seven years of trying, the king and queen of Spain, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella said, yes, we will fund your journey. So he departed in 1492 with 87 men sailing on three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And the 87 men that were with him were just men that signed up to go. These weren't necessarily men that agreed with Christopher Columbus and his Catholicism and who he was as a man. These were just 87 Spanish sailing men, and they had a very different mindset about what to do, because it is the age of conquest, what to do when you came across a people group. They had the mindset to enslave these people or to kill them, and I'll get to more of that later. So this was one of the first of his four trips, and he headed west from Spain across the Atlantic, and on October 12th, they sighted land. And he gave the first island he landed on the name San Salvador, although the native population called it Ganahani. And he thought he was in Asia, but he was actually in the Caribbean and he was about 11,000 miles off as the crow flies. But again, there were no maps of the world at this time. This was all new 
to anybody who had explored going west, anybody from Europe that had explored going west and had returned to Europe to write it down and tell them about it. So he even proposed that the island of Cuba was part of China. Since he thought he was in the Indies, off the coast of India, he called the native people Indians. And it's hard to determine specifically which islands Columbus visited on his voyage. He describes the native people, the geography, and plant life. It gives us some clues, but we do know one place he stopped was in present-day Haiti. He landed in this land, he collected some information, and in January of 1943, Columbus sailed back to Europe to report what he had found. But due to rough seas, he was forced to land in Portugal, and this was unfortunate for Columbus. Because now relations between Spain and Portugal are straining, and the king and queen of Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella, suspected that he was taking valuable information, or maybe even valuable goods, to Portugal the country where he had lived for several years, and they didn't like this. So there was misunderstanding at this point. Those who stand against Columbus, even in the modern day, use this as an argument against him. However, eventually, Columbus was allowed to return to Spain, and he brought with him tobacco, turkey, and some new spices. And he brought with him several natives of the islands who willingly came to Spain with him. These were known as the Tainos, and they were very friendly people to Christopher Columbus, and these were the natives of what we now know as the Caribbean. When Columbus arrived in the Caribbean, he did encounter these Tainos, and they were a great people, and they had a good relationship with him, and there were many other natives in the region. One were called the Canibs, where we get the name Cannibal, and another were the Caribs, where we get the name Caribbean. And the Canibs were cannibals that ate their own people. When the Tainos told Christopher Columbus, hey, we're not all, all the tribes that live in these various islands are not like us. They're different from us. Christopher Columbus didn't believe them. It was 1492 and cannibalism was non-existent, he thought. So what happened on this first voyage is one ship broke down. So they had to leave one of the ship worth of sailors on this island with the Tainos, and Christopher Columbus returned later on his second voyage and said to the Tainos, hey, we left a fort here, we left my men here, where are they? And as he looked around, they discovered that yes, the Canibs had attacked, the Tainos couldn't do anything about it, and the Canibs killed all of Columbus's men and cannibalized them. So Columbus goes and looks for the Canib villages and he finds 50 huts of Taino women, and there's no men. And he has interpreters with him, and he starts talking to these Taino women, and he says, what are you doing here, and what is happening? They said, we have been taken captive by the Canibs, and we are raped by them, and they eat our babies. And there's a lot more graphic history here that I read about that I'm not going to say on this podcast. And Christopher Columbus liberates these Taino women, and he attacks the Canibs that have been doing this to the Tainos. So I tell you this story to explain that there, these different tribes in the Caribbean had been warring against each other, and some were friendly and civilized, and others, called the Canibs, were cannibals. And so this is the world that Christopher Columbus discovers in the islands. Another purpose of Columbus's trip was to colonize 
the lands that he found. And this was the history and the age of colonization. And it can be traced back to the ancient Greeks and the Macedonians, the Romans, and other Mediterranean cultures. Over the centuries, they sent many thousands abroad to establish cities and economic centers in faraway lands, mainly for trade. And quite often, these endeavors were caused by a desire for land, trading, or military outposts. But colonization was the age they were in, along with the age of conquest. When these colonies and these colonists went, they brought with them the Greco-Roman culture and institutions such as democracy, slavery, and the arts. And enslavement and slavery was very popular in this time. It didn't matter if it was black, white, and a lot of it was black on black and white on white slavery. And they're saying during this time of colonization, enslavement of foreign populations was so prevalent that at its height, 30% of the people living in classical era Athens were slaves and 40% of the total population in the Roman Empire were enslaved during this time. And something else that needs to be acknowledged is that slavery has always been a universal institution. Nearly every single people, race, and culture has been both slave and master. Globally, there were more white slaves than black slaves all the way up to the 17th century. And Columbus's goal was not enslavement or subordination of these people groups he was encountering. In fact, Columbus considered the peaceful Taino tribes as citizens of Spain with equal rights as he was colonizing these islands. They had equal rights to himself and his crew, much to the chagrin of many of his crew, who were greedy and materialistic Spaniards. So after announcing his discovery of this new world, Columbus set about planning a second voyage to the new world. And in the second voyage is when he discovered what had happened to the men on his ship from the first voyage. But he went for a second time to establish trading post colonies. And based off of his own words and many of his journals that he wrote, Columbus's plan for colonization had four key aspects. The first was the establishment of a new trading empire in the Far East. The second, exclusion of all but Catholic Christians from the benefit of trade, so only the Catholic Christians could benefit from this trade. Three, conversion of the natives to Christianity. And four, enslavement of hostile natives as a method of punishment and a source of profit. So Columbus, instead of killing these hostile natives, was going to take them as slaves because those were the two options at the time. The Canib tribe were taken as slaves by the Spaniards. Slavery, as was in Columbus's time, the last option for him. However, Columbus's official proposed plan of colonization and government, according to documents that I read, never included slavery in the New World. So making his case to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain, who had financed his trip, his initial voyage, Columbus spent most of his time regulating the system of legal gold hunting. And he knew that the Spaniards were driven by a greed for gold. Columbus made clear that his primary intention for these voyages were religious, demanding that, quote, there be a church and abbots or friars to administer the sacraments, perform divine worship, and to convert the Indians, end of quote. For Columbus, gold was secondary to God, and these new people groups to be converted away from their cannibalism and slave practices 
to Christianity. And his name was Christopher Columbus, and Christopher means Christ-bearer. And Christopher Columbus took this very seriously. It also has to be noted that the Catholic Church at this time was the church. This is long before the Protestant Reformation. There were no evangelicals. You know, here in our modern thinking, there were no Baptists, there were no Presbyterians, there were no Lutherans. Catholics were the bearer of the gospel and the bearer of the scriptures up until this point in history. There's no other denomination at this point in history. And the Catholic Church can trace the first pope back to the Apostle Peter in the scriptures. And so, yes, Christopher Columbus was Catholic. And to our modern ears, that might sound like, oh, he chose the Catholic Church. No, that was the only church in the 1400s. That was the only denomination. This was long before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517. So that was the start of the Protestant Reformation, but that was about 40 years after Christopher Columbus sailed. There's a lot more to Christopher Columbus's life. He did a total of four voyages from Spain to the New World and explored much of what we know now as the Caribbean and started the pursuit and the hot race of exploration of the Americas. He was the first one that did this successfully, and now the race was on. He opened the door for hundreds of explorers of this new world who came after him. He was courageous, he was ambitious, he was unashamedly Catholic, and he wanted to spread the name of the Savior Jesus Christ to these new countries and islands, along with establishing a trade route to Asia, which he never accomplished. In fact, at the end of his life, he considered that a lot of what he had done had failed because he never found the trade route to Asia by sea. And he is not a perfect man by any sense, but the national holiday we have here in the USA should be an opportunity to teach history to the next generation, unfiltered and raw as it is, no matter how messy, how graphic, but yet compellingly interesting as it is and not sanitize it or paint Christopher Columbus as a racist to fit the narrative of the left and further the critical race theory training that we're seeing in the schools and that the public school system today is trying to eradicate and erase and rewrite our American history. And early explorers and founding fathers and those who made this nation great are not to be revered, but we would do well to study who they were and the contributions they made to form the United States of America. And I quickly put together this podcast to help you understand who this man was. And I also want to add my own personal observation here on why Columbus is so denigrated, so hated. Well, so many of our early settlers and founders are by the tearing down of statues, erasing and rewriting history, and slandering and impugning the motives of so many of the men in our history. And I'll use Columbus as an example. I believe they are doing it because they disregard, disrespect, and yes, even hate the God of the Bible and wish to sanitize out of the history of the United States any reference to or respect of God and those early in our history who respected the God of the Bible. Why else would they have this vitriolic hatred to him? Well, yes, Columbus wanted to find a trade route to the east. Yes, he was financed by the king and queen of Spain at the time to colonize new lands and to find 
new trading posts for military and economic reasons. But a large compulsion of Columbus's voyages was to spread the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus Christ of the scriptures that he firmly believed in during that day. And to strip God out of our history and to sell some nasty racist history of our beautiful country is wrong. No, Columbus wasn't perfect, but he did fear God. And he wrote later in his life when he was writing his journals that he was moved by the Holy Spirit for this great exploration that he undertook to find new lands and new people. He kept extensive journals throughout his life. And later in life, he recorded in one of his journals, quote, I have seen and put into study to look into all the scriptures. Our Lord opened my understanding. I could sense his hand upon me. All those who heard about my enterprise rejected it with laughter, scoffing at me. Who doubts that this illumination was from the Holy Spirit? I attest that he, meaning the Spirit, with marvelous rays of light, consoled me through the holy and sacred scriptures. No one should be afraid to take on any enterprise in the name of our Savior, if it is right and if the purpose is purely for his holy service. End of quote. So Christopher Columbus is to be honored on the day we celebrate him, and he really was the first European with any means to find America. So the next time you're talking about Washington, D.C., you can tell them it's the District of Columbia named after Christopher Columbus.